till we couldn't shake no more. We got down on our knees when cancer knocked at our door. We got kicked in the ass. We gave lots of sass. Oh, when it rains, it falls into this half full glass. Oh, thanks, cancer. Thanks, cancer. Thanks, cancer. Victories in the dark. Hi, I'm Mimi Hall. And I'm Leanna House. And you're listening to Thanks Cancer. We are two cancer friends. And we're not doctors. We're not nurses. We're not shrinks. We're not psychics. We're not shamans. No, and cancer is pretty hard, too. I mean, cancer is a little hard. You might hear some swearing words in the episode. Ben, we hope you'll enjoy it. This is the podcast we wish that we had when we were going through our treatment. And we are live. Leanna, it's good to be back with you recording. It's good to be recording recording in my space. It's fantastic. My space with Emily Dickinson coconut cake. My god, Leanna made us the nicest lunch today. It was really good. And we are here on a Saturday where neither of us have to work. Exactly. And you know, I think one of the reasons we haven't gotten together recently is all the work that I've had. Oh, it's a hundred percent been all the work that you've had. So that's how maybe we came upon our topic today. (laughs) Occupational cancer. Our topic is, did my job give me cancer? Do you think your job gave you cancer? When I was diagnosed, it was six months after I had started a new job. And in my field, when you start a new job, you're working 60 hour weeks. Right. Like, and it's a really hard field. The learning curve is huge. And it wouldn't have stayed that way. But I was in that crazy geared up. um, Proving yourself. Proving myself kind of a place. And I don't, I don't think that my job gave me cancer, but I don't think that the stress that I was under was good for me. Like Mm -hmm. that was not good for anyone. Yeah. Do you think your job gave you cancer? Well, you know, I always joke that I think email gives us cancer. Well, email does give us cancer. (laughs) (laughs) I think it might. I mean, I I don't know. I, the, what I've always maintained about the level of work I was putting out and I was doing long hours too. You know, I was pulling 60, 80 hour weeks in my job when I stepped off the merry-go-round and um, I've always maintained that I don't think my job caused the cancer, but I, I do think it may have sped up the progress of the cancer. And, and I attribute that probably to just general stress. And I also wonder, I think it's really common for people to work 60 or 80 hour weeks. In Boston, for sure. In Boston, for sure, and other places and other fields. And it's become this norm Mm -hmm. to just be always on call, even though we fought for hundreds of years to get down from 80 hour work weeks. And now we're doing it voluntarily. Like we shouldn't do that. It's really true. I mean, it's funny how now it's like part of the glory of being an executive who makes a lot of money. It's like you're putting in the hours. It's like, isn't the goal to get away from that? Well, and it's (laughs) it's seen as this litmus test, like you're not committed enough to your job if you don't put in the extra work that you're not getting paid for. And that is crazy. That's our jobs giving us Stockholm Syndrome. You know, I think this ties into a lot of the stuff I got into when I was doing research for this podcast. It's like we're dealing with this new technological wave where it's possible to bring work home. Okay. And possible to bring it in your pocket, even if you're not home, even if you're somewhere else at the gym, you cannot get away from your work if you have chosen to connect it to your smartphone. That is true. 
And I think that every new wave of technology and industry, let's just call it industry writ large, because what what I'm about to talk about goes back to the 18th century when the Industrial Revolution began. I think every wave brings a new series of health challenges that we can really only figure out maybe a generation afterwards, right? Yeah, if at all. There's latencies. And the technology may have changed yet again with the pace that we're working at this time. Okay, so our topic isn't, did your job give you cancer? necessarily. Our topic is cancers associated with certain occupations. Exactly. And one of those things that is really hard to tease out, I mean, cancer is complicated anyway, but it's really hard to tease out if the incidence rate is higher than the average, because you have to figure out what the incidence rate is in the population. Mm -hmm. And as I've been trying to do that, even now in 2019, we know the incidence rate of maybe 23%, mm-hmm. 23% of America. And that's with everything being digitized and that's logged with, and medical, medical history so and journals. So 23% of people who have cancer, we have the data for in a digestible way. And of that, um, there's a lot of variation in that because, you know, cancer rates will be higher some years than other years or higher some places than other places, just as the natural ups and downs. So trying to tease out when the incidence of cancer is actually higher versus in the general population. For example, if there was a group of teachers in a school uh, if five of them got cancer at the same breast cancer at the same time, you might think, oh, well, maybe something at school caused cancer. However, hmm. one in eight women get cancer. Mm-hmm. Teachers are often at an age where it's common or it's more common to get cancer, 45 to 55. Mm-hmm. Um, so teasing out random chance versus trend is really, really hard. And then on top of that, you have what you were talking about with the latency period. Yep. Because I'm exposed to something today and we might not find out that that was damaging for 20 more years. Like right now we have first responders and people in New York getting a bunch of cancers and dying of cancers from what happened on 9-11. And it is 20 years later. Mm-hmm. And we're just seeing the crest, like the, the beginning of that swelling of that wave. And so trying to figure out when certain cancer clusters actually happen Mm -hmm. is really, really hard. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so the first incidence of this um, came about with chimney sweeps. So if we go back to the 18th century, that was really the first time that there was a correlation between a carcinogen causing cancer in a specific population. And And that was with chimney sweeps. Chimney sweeps in England, in London. Right. And that's where that's where the genesis of this was. So the doctor Sir Sir Percival Pot. Um, that's a great name. It's a wonderful name. So Percival Potts. So Percival Pot. Sir Percival Pot. <laughs> so like, now I'm losing it. I'm like not doing justice to Percival Pot. So Sir Percival Sir Percival Pot was the first doctor to make a correlation between the workplace and cancer and. Yeah. He's got a pretty interesting story himself. He was one of the first doctors to go from being a barber doctor in training to actually going into a science, scientific methodology and research. Um, 
he was one of the founders of orthopedic surgery and he was he was interested in a lot of different things but he did a lot of work with hernias and coming up with new techniques of curing hernias and whatnot and we don't know exactly how he got into the scrotal cancer that it started to affect the the chimney sweeps at the time but um the first mention of it the first mention account of this was in 1740. now the reason for this again like what was the wave that created this awareness of it in 1740 i mean you could say oh we were changing from barber doctors to actual scientific doctors yeah perhaps but there's another wrinkle on this this all really kicked into high gear in the Great Fire of London. Because after the Great Fire of London, obviously most of London had to be rebuilt. What year was the Great Fire? That was, I believe, 1666 okay. was the Great Fire of London. Um, is that why we think 666 is a bad number? <laughs> I, it was a bad year for London that year, for sure. Can you imagine where all those people went? Mm. I, I, that's another story for another time. But uh, basically, after the Great Fire of London, they rebuilt the chimneys to be quite narrow. Um, they were built to standard size. If you've been to England, you've seen how same right. all the townhouses are. So they, city planning. Right. They built them much more narrowly to prevent fires, and they built them about 9 inches by 14 inches when they were clean. What did this necessitate? It necessitated a great degree of child labor, which there was a lot of on that time. Again, industrial revolution, families moving in from an agrarian society into the city, and many of them could not support their children. So, And many parents died. Many parents died. Of so, cholera and everything else. So exactly. there was a lot of orphans. There was a lot of abandonment. There was a lot of selling of children for money to support the rest of the family. And there was just a lot of death and abandonment in general. So most of these children started their work at about six when they were nimble enough to do the work and to comprehend the work, but small enough to fit through the chute. Oh, six years old. Six years old. Wow. Yeah. I'm thinking 6 a.m. <laughs> things were really different. When people talk about how brutal today's society is, um, we need to look back a little bit to Victorian London, I think. <laughs> so they would scrub these kids down with salt water to toughen up their skin before going in. They would send them down the chute, usually when there was carbon monoxide developing in the house or when there was a fire in the flue. Very often, they would have to push through the creosote that had formed, their plugs that had formed, and they would often get stuck. Their elbows and knees were always constantly burnt, and they were not bathed afterwards. They they had a tradition of not bathing in England. Um, we'll get into it later, but things were different on the continent with the chimney sweeps there, which gives us an interesting control. So what happened to these poor kids over time? Many of them grew up to go on to other trades if they survived this trade. Um, many of them died, but society considered it a good trade-off to avoid major house fires or another great fire of London carbon monoxide poisoning etc right so it's just considered a decent trade and who would be taking care of these kids anyway right they had to have a trade right so some of the youngest incidences of warts occurring on the genitals happened I think the earliest one was like maybe 12 years old um, and what would happen because these kids were naked and when they were no longer naked they would just wear very loose clothing that was worn repetitively day after day they would develop irritation and friction around the scrotal area with the creosote 
This would this would create what were called soot warts by the cleaners. And that is uh, like a genital wart caused by something else? It's a papilloma. It's a papilloma. Okay. It's the beginning of cancer caused okay. by the creosote and the friction that's causing it. Now, the tradition among the chimney sweeps, and remember, these guys didn't have health insurance as part of their benefits package. And they started this at six years old, so they're not known for their critical thought. Yeah, they were not in a guild as people were on the continent. They weren't an apprentice. They were just thrown down the chimney chutes, right? Not a lot of love given to these kids. So the first warts would typically start appearing maybe in their teenage years. That would be an early onset. For most of the patients, they would show up between 30 and 40 years old. Perhaps when they were off at sea or just living their lives. Like long after being a chimney sweep, that latency period. Really long latency period, which is one of the reasons it took a while for society to cotton on that this was happening after the Great Fire and after the flus were changed. Right? Also, we have scientific methodology kicking in around this time too. Because it's the enlightenment and everything We have the printing press and there are medical journals coming in too. So we're now able to actually start to capture this information. Thank you, Sir Pot. So where were we? Around this time... And like, what year are we in now? Okay, so right now, like right now, we're around. It's around 17, 1740, okay. and we're going into like the seventeen seventies when Percival Pot is doing his research. Okay, okay, that's when he first starts to write about it. Okay, so. What they found is that these um, sweeps, when they do get the first wart, are often removing it themselves with what's called a sharp stick. I don't know what that is. It's um, probably exactly what it sounds like, a right. sharp stick that they use. The medical reports quote them as saying it was quite painless, and they would just take off the wart and let it heal up. Now, that is actually one of the ways that you can actually cure this kind of cancer if you catch it on the early onset well, just like now if you can't if you catch testicular cancer for example um early enough and remove it that rate of cure is like 95 percent. or with genital warts with cervical cancer if you get that if you have the beginnings of it you have a little dysplasia you can get it frozen off sloughed away right no problem now what would happen if it was not taken off was quite miserable. And many of the patients let it go, unfortunately. Um, so it would start out at the base of the scrotum. So it wasn't on the actual testicles yet, um, but it would start out at the base of it. And I'll just I'll just quote here. Um, of, I'm going to quote some journal entry here about a 20-year-old sweep um, who was consulted in 1825. The sore occupies the whole left side of the scrotum and the inner angle of the thigh, extending from the anus to the posterior inferior spinous processes of the ilium, representing a surface as large as a man's opened hand, with hard, indutrated edges and irregular margins, discharging a thin sanies, which is extremely offensive. The left testicle is completely denuded and projects from its center. In the left groin is a mass of inundated glands, the size of a goose's egg, which appears to separate the right groin. There is likewise an ulceration of the same malignant nature about the size of a half crown, so silver dollar. Uh, so really, really miserable. Uh, it would go right up the abdomen. And it really, I think what we see here is Pot's compassion coming out. Um, he really recognized the, the hard life of these 
of these patients. And um, so he just had a passing, I mean, the same relationship that anyone else would have with chimney sweeps who was living in London, who saw these poor kids going around. And was he a medical doctor? Did he like see he so he saw his 30 or 40 year old patients who used to be chimney sweeps 20 or 30 years ago. Exactly. And he was a very conscientious doctor. I think he was very unique. Um, He was one of the first people to write an account of informed consent, feeling that patients should be aware of what they were about to undergo. Did we talk about him in our informed consent? I'm not sure if we did, but we should have given him a shout out in hindsight if we did not. Um, One of the things he he wrote about them, which I just think is really beautiful, is this. um, This is is Potts' words. The fate of these people, the sweepers, seems singularly hard. In their early infancy, they are most frequently treated with great brutality and almost starved with cold and hunger. They are thrust up narrow and sometimes hot chimneys where they are buried burned and almost suffocated and when they get to puberty become liable to most noisome painful and fatal disease now because of the latency period and because this was coming about the time you would start to get the first signs depending on when you started as a sweeper usually around your sexual sexually active period they began treating these with mercury um, which was the cure for syphilis which is the cure and the worst poison ever. Exactly. Poison for the poison, right? Which we know all about. Homeopathy. Um, right, exactly. So um, anyway, Potts, Potts took immediate action and got uh, was part of getting a law passed in um, what year was it? It was eight, 1788. The new law was passed that no minors under the age of eight should be employed. No chimney sweeps. No chimney sweeps should okay. be employed. Um, under the age of eight, however... Which is... Okay, can we just, like, stop for a second and realize how fucking crazy that was that this society looked at children and said, well, we gotta protect those six-year-olds, but those eight-year-olds, fuck them. Like... Well, even worse. <laughs> this this While the scientific data was out there and the government knew about it, it was... They completely turned the other cheek, and no one, no one made them compliant. There was no compliance whatsoever to this law until 1840. There was another Chimney Sweeps Act that was passed that forbade anyone under 16 having an apprenticeship. Again, however, this law was completely ignored until 1857, when they actually made the police districts responsible for enforcing this. Well, how would you reach the areas of the chimney without a kid small enough to go down that chimney? What it took and what changed right here? Mechanical devices. So they started to have machines. Again, we're looking at the technology changing the outcome, right? So it was around this time, not coincidentally, that machines became available. And guess what? I'm sure there was some lobbying and governmental influence with the manufacturers of those machines. I'm I'm positive of it. We didn't get that deep in this research, but... Well, and it's kind of a crazy thing because pot in the 1700s was trying to convince people how we are cleaning our chimneys is giving kids cancer. Right. But 
everyone is cleaning their chimneys like that. So people don't want to hear that you have to change your way of life to not Mm. take advantage of six-year-old children. Like, no one wants to hear that. Your livelihood depends on this. Otherwise, Mm. your family, you know, gets carbon monoxide poisoning or whatever. Like, that is, like, people were incentivized to ignore this, not just the employees, the whole population. The society. The society was incentivized to ignore it until we got a big enough corporation to, like, try to sell their mechanized chimney sweepers. Mm-hmm. Now, interestingly, there's, there's two things going on here that relate to what we were talking about. Well, one thing relates to what we were talking about earlier. It wasn't every chimney sweep that got the scrotal warts. Right. And got scrotal cancer. So that vexed the researchers. Because remember, this so, is the infancy of research. And what is the what are the percentages? Like one in two, one in five, one in ten? So it was two thirds of the oh gosh, you're asking me something. I don't know if I actually got that. Okay. I don't think I got that. Um, I have the research. You know, if anyone wants to go deeper, uh, just to tell you my sources, I'm using the British uh, British Journal of Medicine, and um, there's also a great podcast, um, Legends of Surgery, that I listened to for this. It was their 75th episode. So I don't have that information. But, um, so one of the things was that they just couldn't figure out, you know, who's getting it and who's not. The other control study that was really interesting, and another doctor went over to do this research on the continent, because in the continent, there was a small percentage of sweeps that would get this disease that was more or less in line with the rest of population at the time. Now, why was that? It was their outfits, and it was, again, their, their lifestyle. So in England, it was sort of a point of pride almost if you're a sweeper to be dirty, remain dirty. Um, it's advertising for your services. Exactly. There was different plumbing in England. There were more social pumps that were in the middle of a neighborhood versus plumbing that would go out to individual places such as the continent. And also these chimney sweeps were basically being indoctrinated from the age of six whereas in the continent they already had that guild set up and they had a tradition of bathing after each and every shift and they had uniforms that prevented chafe. They were not loose, they were tight, and they were very well covered, and they wore top hats after a certain point, which we remember from Mary Poppins, and part of that reason is to keep the soot off of you as it's coming down. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. So by the time, however, they started to come up with all of these revelations, we'd already moved on to coal and the distillation of coal and mineral spirits and other things that went on to cause scrotal cancer as well with different people working in those industries. So what I'm getting from this is that it's just really hard to tease out like causes because of the latency period because of, I mean, it took a hundred years to figure out that um, chimney sweeps were getting scrotal cancer. It actually took, it's like it didn't take that long to figure out, but the causation. Right took like the actual causation and one of the researchers thought that those sweeps that had gotten actual coal dust well into the epidermis like he he thought he could see it on the slides looking at their cells was the cause but it turned out that was just his methodology of staining the cells yeah you know so there were a lot of false starts really but in the end i mean you know as early as 1780 he was saying hey no bueno no more of these little baby sweeps going up they're going to get cancer but again society 
society just decided that the trade-off was better. Two two generations of society decided that the trade-off was better. That's you, 60 years. You also have to imagine, like, this is a society that thought nothing of sending a naked little boy. I mean, people were getting this done in their homes. They must have seen the little boy getting winched up there, sent down being burned and coming out dead in many cases i mean they did a lot there was a really high death rate just from smoke inhalation when they would pass out this is a really interesting <laughs> this is really interesting talk about poison with poison they would very often pass out because of carbon monoxide poisoning right so they would light hay on top and wave it over to wake them up <laughs> it's really brutal <laughs> I mean, if you think you've had a bad day at work, <laughs> at least you didn't wake up to burning hay in your face. I know, and then as a prize for your retirement, you get scrotal cancer. Oh Someone had up to a hundred warts all over their their genitals by the time they got in because they just didn't want to deal with it. It must have been really grim. It sounds it sounds pretty grim. Is that our protocol? <laughs> like. London or really any city before what 1950 was pretty grim. I mean, I think so. There, my takeaway is this things that we're doing now that are causing cancer are probably going to take a generation to figure out. Yeah, I believe that because we need the data. Um, I don't care how fast things are moving, I think it's still true. Oh, it's definitely true. Yeah, that latency period you cannot overcome. Yeah, so I think that's true with occupations, but but let me. So I had this really funny serendipitous thing happen too. And I was listening to another podcast and I I learned about this adverse childhood experiences test and study that happened with Kaiser Permanente in the 90s. I just heard about it after doing this research on the childhood chimney sweep getting cancer. And this struck me when it comes to who gets affected by these carcinogens in the workplace or in life and who doesn't. And let me just break down this theory. So this is a 10 question test that was put out by Kaiser Permanente to see what effect stress in childhood before the age of 18 can have in incidences of diseases, mental health, etc. Okay. They actually did brain studies. This was 10 years and it involved something like, I think it was like 17,000 people that were polled. Okay. So like a big pool. Big old pool. N equals 17,000. <laughs> Correct. Correct. So what they found, and this is all available on the CDC, um, it's all public information, they found massive amounts of increased health risks, and cancer is amongst them, along with diabetes, alcoholism, impulsivity, relationship issues, all of this. And where you fall on that, so it's just 10 questions, and if you score one, well, then you're like one times more likely to have this happen to you. And if you score 10, you're 10 times more likely to have these incidences happen to you. So what's the takeaway from this? Well, if you score high on that test, you might not want to work with petrochemicals. You might not want to work with things like mineral oil or coal distillates, or you might want not want to be a pilot, for instance, who's exposed to a lot of radiation. Well, our uh, our CDC also has a list of carcinogenic mm-hmm. chemicals that's dozens of things long, yeah. like chloroform, like dioxine, like there is a lot of these things that you 
need to look out for if you had a lot of if you've had a rough childhood. And I think it's up to us as workers to do the research about the industry, because to your point, no one's going to inform us like, hey, wait, before you take this job at the airport, you're going to be exposed to a lot of petrochemicals. Well, my protocol from all of this is your job doesn't give a shit about you. Like, they're not shoving six-year-olds down chimneys anymore, but industries and corporations are incentivized to hide this data and they are the only ones that have it now they can't hide it forever because things come out but all of these you don't owe your job anything and all of these industries are incentivized to get as much out of you as possible and ignore any health risks to you riffing on that even more Where is our insurance coming from for most people who are middle class and above in America? Gosh, it's coming from our workplace. And so we can't leave our workplace, otherwise we lose health insurance. Right. Just just coming back to this ACE, it did really strike me when we go back to that mystery of why was it some of the sweeps and not other sweeps that got this? You know, why was it some, not the other? It did make me think that most of these kids were going to score a solid 10 on this chart. I mean, maybe they would score a 20, you know what I mean, really, if it was possible. And it did get me thinking about some of my life choices. I think I scored a three, something like that on this test. And And um, to be clear, these aren't your life choices. These are things that happened to you before you were 18 years old. Correct. Before you had your... Volition. Exactly. Exactly. That was the word I was going to say and looking for. So before you had your own volition... These were things, and it doesn't matter how other people view these things as traumas. What matters is how you actually felt them and experienced them and what they've discovered, which is where I find the interesting cancer, oncogene, why some of the sweeps got in, why others didn't, why some of us get cancer and others don't, is that they've discovered through this study that it actually leaves imprints on your genes, these stressful experiences. So that is why we are more prone to behaviors and diseases that have negative impacts the higher we score on the list. So we are actually making genetic DNA changes, marks that are visible right now with our technology that we can see. So my call, my protocol to all of us is let's, first of all, let's start raising our children with this awareness, you know, and I think we already are doing that so much better than the 18th century, but let's be aware of that. And let's really work to make people who aren't aware of that, aware of that. So we have less health costs and less health problems in our society. So parents need to read the ACE test of childhood trauma and just don't do any of those things to your kids. It's actually pretty easy. It's pretty easy to follow these rules unless you yourself have the imprinting on your DNA. And I think it speaks to the need for society as a whole. Once again, much like we took care of infectious diseases as a whole at the turn of the century when some of this research was starting to kick into society, we need to take this mental health more seriously because we now have a direct correlation proven by scientific methodology that Yes, we are having an impact on the health of a great number of people in society who are then going to leave those imprints on their children if we can't get in there. And these things can be turned around by positive experiences as well. That is what the research is now showing. So my protocol is if you've had traumatic childhood experiences and you know it, you're blessed enough to have had some therapy, you're just self-aware, 
think about your job choices if you're starting your career. I would not recommend getting into stressful jobs like I've been attracted to. I don't think it's done me any good with my health. And I think that if I'd been armed with some of this information, I might have chosen to be a librarian like I actually wanted to be. You know what I mean? I think it would have been better for me. So I think those two protocols do it for me. Okay. And my protocol is don't work more than you're getting paid for. Your job is not going to pay you for more than they agreed to. You should not be working more than you agreed to because it is not benefiting you and we need to set boundaries with our jobs. That is so easy to say and it is so, and I totally agree with you. Okay, so I'm here I am like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. mm-hmm. You know, when we got that text interrupting us earlier, guess where it was from? Your job. Mm Mm-hmm. I, well, I am very lucky. I know how lucky I am because I've had a bunch of jobs. My current job, I was going to put my email on my phone, but I had to download an app and I didn't want to do that. And my boss said, why are you having email on your phone? Oh. And it was like a revelation. So it comes from the top down. Well, you work at a cancer center too. I mean, I just, I do want to say. All right. So Dana Farber is really good. Because my job doesn't say that to me. They're not like, oh, Mimi, you shouldn't be working on the weekend. Well, it comes from the top down. So if you are an executive, don't work more than 40 hours and don't fucking make your employees work more than 40 hours because you are ridiculous if you do. If you expect your employees to work 12 hour days, you are part of the problem. You're giving us cancer. I totally agree. (laughs) I mean, I have to say, I totally agree, even though I don't follow the practice. And I mean, here's the thing is like part of our current wave of industry right now is pretending that we're robots, basically pretend. I mean, and we're using our smartphones to fuel us. We're using it to add oomph. We're drinking shitloads of caffeine and taurine products, which, by the way, fueled Hitler um, to all sorts of speed in society, the Adderall, the constant distraction to stay awake, to work harder, to work longer, to work stronger. And I think that is our new coal tar, our coal distillate, uh, you know, tar, mineral mineral oil. oil. It's our new creosote. And that's our new irritation in a way. And I just am really, I'm not saying I'm curious, but I do believe that we're going to see new strong rates of new strong cancers as a function of our current technology too. But again, I think it's going to be a generation. Okay. Well, we'll be on the lookout for that. Looking forward. (laughs) What will it be next? Thanks, Cancer, for the constant entertainment. (laughs) I'm really appreciative um, for Cancer for letting me go down these rabbit holes, though. I don't think I ever would have found out the marvelous Percival Pot, who is now my new make-believe boyfriend. So thanks, Percival Pot. Thank you. Thanks, Cancer. Thanks, Cancer. That was our episode. Thanks for listening to Thanks, Cancer. If you guys enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would give us a review on iTunes or Google Play. And you can find us on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook at Thanks, Cancer. And please, we'd love to hear from you your stories. Your protocols. Exactly. Advice that you have to share with the community. So send us your audio files at info at thankscancer.com. Well, the traffic stopped you lay on the horn and you ask yourself, where is my cancer unicorn? But we're at the gate with your cancer card. We're your passport date. Cause Thanks, cancer. Victories in the dark.